Pray with me. Lord, it's always good, always, always good to be gathered together with the saints. You've told us in your word, let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so we are gathered because you've told us to gather. You've told us to be that light, that gathered light, that collected, collective light. We collectively tell you that we need you today. We need you to be our teacher, our encourager, the one who would convict us of our sins, the one who would comfort us in our sorrows. And so, Lord, we, we're gathered today in our common the common denominator is Christ. Either we worship him or we are exploring the possibility of worshiping him, but that's, Lord Jesus, you are the one who gives us commonality today as we gather. And so we do pray that the Spirit of God would be our teacher and that we would leave here in some way changed because we have been with the people of God and we have met with God we pray this in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> when, you, um, when you go to open a new bank account, or maybe sometimes when you go for a new job, you're often asked to give two forms of ID, right? So you gotta bring with you a driver's license, or a passport, or a social security card, maybe a utility bill to show, prove that you live in a certain location and you've been there for a while. Whatever it happens to be, you have to bring a couple forms of ID. And basically it's to prove you are who you claim to be. You are who you are. Do you know what a Christian's two basic forms of ID are? There really, there are basically two forms of ID for a Christian to show that you truly are a follower of Jesus. Your confession of Christ and your conduct as a follower of Christ. Or another way of saying it, what you believe, and then how you behave. The faith that you confess, and the faith that you express through your life. Now in the first 12 verses of Peter's first epistle, and if you're a guest, we're moving through 1 Peter we believe in the value, essentially, of expository preaching, expounding the scriptures, allowing the word of God to do its own teaching. And so we just generally move our way through passages and books of the Bible. In the first 12 verses of Peter's, of 1 Peter, he essentially wrote about that first part, what you believe, what you confess. The things that are true of you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You have professed that you believe that Jesus is Lord. You have professed that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness of sins. You have professed your faith in Jesus. You've been born again. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been given an inheritance that God is guarding until you take possession of it one day in heaven. And your hope, both in this life and for the life to come, is Christ. He is your hope. And so as a result of all that, you are new people, new creations, kind of like the, the pumpkin illustration. Great illustration. God takes that which does not have life and puts life and light within it. 
So that's the first 12 verses. Now for the, pretty much the rest of the epistle of 1 Peter, he is going to essentially tell us, now, let's live as if all of that is actually true. Let's live as if your faith is true. Let's live as if the words you speak about confessing Christ as your Lord are true. Let's make sure that your conduct matches your confession, that your behavior is in line with your beliefs. Because to not live differently as followers of Jesus does not make any sense. It just doesn't. To continue to think the way the world thinks, to continue to react the way you used to react, continuing to fundamentally put your hope in the things of the world, continuing to prioritize your life as if Jesus wasn't Lord, continuing to hold the same values as those who don't know Christ, continuing to talk and use language and a tone of voice that doesn't belong on the lips of a follower of Jesus, it doesn't make sense. In light of being a new creation, a new person, a new man, a new woman in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says that the old is gone, the new has come. Peter's saying, so let's talk about the new. Let's talk about what it should look like. And what you have to like about Peter, one of the things I like about Peter is he's so simple. He just lays it out very clearly. Are you all familiar with the KISS principle? There's a couple of versions of it, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Peter's version is keep it simple, saints. Keep it simple for the saints. And so in these brief, simple, straightforward verses that we're going to look at today, Peter keeps it really simple for the saints. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Please read with me. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Please be seated. So what I want to do this morning is basically just give you three very simple principles that come out of, or not just principles, but actually kind of exhortations that come out of the verses that we just read this morning. First of all, he tells us that we need to clear away what I'm referring to as relational debris. Clear away all the relational debris from your life. It says in verse 1, so... Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And he begins with the word so. It's like the word therefore. It's a bridge word. It connects the verses right before it with the verses right after it. Now the verses before it, let me just remind you, Peter wrote at the end of chapter 1, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, that's key, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, 
For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This word is the good news that was preached to you. Then he says, so, or since you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God, since your soul's been purified through obedience to the truth, meaning faith, you've come to faith in Christ, since you are to now love one another earnestly from a pure heart, there are certain impure things in your life that need to go, that you need to get rid of. You need to put them away, his wording. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. That's the relational debris. You need to clear away all the relational garbage from your life. A few weeks ago, when some of us helped out with the city of Manchester's annual cleanup day, uh, people were setting out on the curb uh, all the household stuff and junk that was cluttering up their homes. And it was amazing how much stuff there was. Appliances, chairs, sofas, beds, bikes, toys, fans, scrap lumber, old tires, barbecue grills. You get the picture. And we were filling these huge, huge dumpster containers with all of the junk from the relatively small city of Manchester. They were just clearing out the debris that had accumulated over time and that they just needed to get rid of. Peter says it's the exact same situation in the lives of God's people. A lot of junk that needs to be taken out to the curb and hauled to the dump. He says, so put away. It's the picture of stripping off filthy, dirty, soiled garments that would be really offensive to other people. You keep those dirty, soiled, filthy, stinky, smelly garments on, and other people are offended by that. It says you need to strip those off. Only here it's getting rid of filthy, dirty, soiled attitudes and practices that are really offensive, really offensive. It's the same word that Paul uses in Colossians 3 where he gives a similar exhortation Paul says, you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, can I ask you a question? When you read statements like the verse we're looking at here, or Colossians 3.8, when you read statements like that in the Bible, do you take them for what they are, commands, or do you take them as optional material? Paul says, you must put them all away. Peter says, put away all of these things that are in your life. And some of them, friends, have become so deeply ingrained in the way you live, the way you react. It's like practicing a bad golf swing. I'm not a golfer, but I understand the way it works. A, a bad golf swing that's never been corrected. It's how you've always, always swung your club. And someone comes along who is a much better golfer than you and graciously says to you, you've really developed some bad habits that are gonna have to be replaced with some good habits. We really need to work on your swing. The same becomes true of personality characteristics. You've developed some bad habits, some bad reactions, some bad attitudes, some bad behaviors. To the point, friends, where others say of you, 
probably behind your back in some cases, she's always been that way. He's always had a bad temper. I mean, for as long as I've known her, she's talked bad about people she doesn't like. He's always had a foul mouth. Stretching the truth is like second nature to her. See, how many times over the years have I heard someone explaining why someone else acts the way they do with the words, that's just the way he is. And I want to say, and we're talking about Christians here, followers of Jesus, I want to say, and in some cases I actually have said it, well, the way he is is really ugly, and it needs to change. Let me give you another word picture. You come to Christ, you're born again, but you brought with you a satchel or a handbag, something like this. And inside that handbag, purse, carry-on, you've got all kinds of things that you're really familiar with that you're able to pull out in a moment's notice. A certain situation, a certain conversation requires a little bit of slander, and so you pull that out. You know exactly which zipper it's in. Or it needs a real quick put-down, a real quick comeback line, maybe some sarcasm that has a dig to it. Whatever it happens to be, you know it because you brought it with you from your old life. And you carry it with you as a Christian. And Peter says, everything that's in that bag has got to go. In fact, the bag has got to go. Because it doesn't belong. It just doesn't belong in the life of a new creature. Peter says, get rid of it. Everything in there does harm. Maybe what's in that bag makes you feel good. Maybe it gives you one up on other people. Maybe it helps you win an argument. Maybe it helps you prove your point. Maybe you win more than you lose relationally because of what you're able to pull out of that bag. But friends, the reality is every time you use anything that's in there, everyone loses. Especially you. We're all familiar with the term weapons of mass destruction. God is calling you to put away your weapons of private destruction. And then he lists them for us. All malice. Malice is the intention or the desire to hurt the other person with words and actions. To do harm either overtly or covertly, either with a frontal assault or as a sniper. You intend to do harm. You're out to harm the other person in some way. Harm their reputation, harm their heart, harm their feelings, harm their relationships. Some people are malicious through physical abuse. Others are malicious through emotional abuse, and still others are malicious through verbal abuse. But the bottom line is, it's all abuse. You're abusing someone who is created in the image of God. Today, there are those who are guilty of social media abuse. Are you ever malicious on Facebook? Do you use it to vent your anger toward other people? 
Have you ever used Facebook to harm someone else? See, unfortunately, social media, for all of its good, and I, I love all of its good, it also provides a whole new platform for using words in a negative fashion and for then putting your worst side on display for all the world to see. It makes no sense for a new creature in Christ to act that way. You recall the verses that came before this one where Peter says, you are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Friends, you can't do that if you are hanging on to malice. If malice is in your heart, you cannot love one another earnestly from a pure heart because your heart will not be pure. Let's go on. All deceit, he says. All deceit, all deception, all lying, all being dishonest in relationships with other people, being duplicitous. You're trying to gain an advantage through deception. You're trying to gain advantage through deception. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is false posturing. Being two-faced, pretending to be something that you're not. You're one thing at church. You're one thing at life group. You're one thing in front of the pastor. And you're someone quite different at home or at work. You essentially want for people to know you for something that you're not. That's what you, we're always trying to do when we posture. I want people to know me for someone that I'm not. Again, I come back to social media. It's a great platform for hypocrisy, for presenting to the rest of the world just how wonderful your life is through words and pictures, giving the impression that you're amazing and your marriage is amazing and your kids and grandkids are amazing because it's only the good side of your world that you present, which puts pressure on other people to do the same thing. And it just goes on and on and on. Again, you might get the impression I'm anti-Facebook. I'm not. I love all the things that, especially my wife shares with me, of people that we've lost contact with, or being able to encourage people through Facebook, or post wonderful, encouraging words. But I really believe that many Christians are extremely naive to its potential dangers and adverse effects that it can have. And friends, as a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to use the technology of the day very, very well for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Next on his list is envy. Envy is desiring that which belongs to another, while in your heart, despising them just a little bit for what they have and you don't have. That's envy. You want what they have and you kind of despise them for what they have. And then all slander. Slander is pretty clear, right? To defame, to smear, to dig up dirt, to slice and dice with words, to bite and devour the other person with your tongue. And it's usually either in order to seek revenge, to get even, or self-promotion, to make yourself look better. If I can look, make that other person look bad, it will make me look better. And of course, all of, the, all of the weapons in your bag relating to the tongue that are similar to slander, gossip, mockery, ridicule, having a critical word, a quick comeback, putting the other person down, dismissing the other person's opinion. Peter says all of these things need to be put away, put away, put away. Whenever you see them popping up, 
You get rid of them. So what's the positive counterpart to clearing away all the relational debris? There's got to be a positive side to this, and that's where he goes next. Number two, we need to crave spiritual nourishment. Verse two, like newborn infants, so he's just told us what we need to get rid of, and then he turns to the positive, like a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. He could have made his point only by using the word infants, but he added the word newborn, literally meaning born just now. I'm sure many of us have seen newborns longing for its mother's milk, eager, sometimes almost in a panic, and then gulping it down, and it's dripping down their chin, and you have to wipe it out of the little creases in their neck and clean them up, and they just keep gulping. If they get distracted, they might pull away from the, from the mother's breast or the bottle for a second, but it's not long before they get right back at it, hungry for more. Andrew Crabtree shared with me recently, their little Liam says he's just so eager to nurse. No messing around when it's mealtime. Well, that's the picture that Peter paints for his readers. You need to be like Liam, hungry, eager, craving, longing for the milk, Longing for the milk. Now what I find interesting here, and you may have noticed it, is that Peter isn't, he isn't encouraging his readers with a suggestion. He is exhorting them with a command. When he says that they are to long for the pure spiritual milk, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's a command to desire. Now that's interesting to me. Does that seem strange to you to be commanded to desire something? We tend to think of a craving being one of these, a spontaneous urge. I've got these up on the screen. A spontaneous urge, you have this urge for a piece of chocolate or a piece of my wife's sour cream raisin pie or maybe half of that pie would be my urge. Or if you want to stay on the healthy side of craving, how about a just-picked Honeycrisp apple from Miller's Orchard in Michigan? <laughs> or another one, uh, personally for our family, my son Judd recently discovered the burger at Olive and Oak, and he will tell you it is the best burger on the face of the planet. I mean, a few days after he and Sarah had gone there for lunch, he found himself craving another one late at night and wondering if they delivered. <clears throat> That's a craving, a spontaneous urge that just sort of wells up inside of you. Like, oh, I've got to have him. the burger from Olive and Oak. So that's one kind of craving we think about. There's another, it's just this physical need that rises up in your body. Uh, I've referenced the book Skeletons on the Zahara, where these sailors in the 1800s were shipwrecked on the shore of Africa and they were, they had a desperate thirst and hunger. They were literally becoming skeletons, walking skeletons. They had this desperate physiological need, craving, longing for food and water. Or it would be the same idea, some of you long for a good night's sleep. It's just a physiological craving that your bodies are calling out. Um, 
And then there's another craving, which is an emotional void, caused by an emotional void. Um, words of approval from your dad. For your husband's return from a tour of duty in the Middle East, you long to see them again. Or to be able to talk to your mom on the phone just one more time since she passed away. Have you all had that longing, that craving? So those are the types of cravings and longings that we normally think of. But then Peter commands us to have a fourth one, and that is out of spiritual necessity. You need the pure spiritual milk, so I am commanding you to desire it. I'm commanding you to long for it. You say, but Gary, is it possible for you to determine what to long for? The other three, spontaneous urge, physical need, emotional void, just seem to be there. You don't have to even think about them. They just sort of pop up and they're there. And here Peter is commanding us. So the question is, can you choose your cravings? Can you decide what to long for? Because, friends, if you can choose what to long for, you can determine your spiritual growth. You can change who you are. Sometimes I will have a craving for a glazed croissant from the Schnooks Bakery. Have you all had them? They're amazing. If you haven't had one, you probably best not try it. <laughs> it can become an addiction. I can be controlled by that craving. Or I can choose to crave a Honeycrisp apple. Not the same thing. But after I've eaten the apple, I don't feel as strong of a desire for the glazed croissants. It's interesting how that works. You replace one craving with another. You replace one longing with another. I'm not saying I've given up glazed croissants. Just be clear. But... So my point in, is this, just because, and I want you to think about your own spirituality right now, just because you don't presently have a natural, visceral longing for the pure spiritual milk, for the milk of God's word, for pursuing God at a deeper level, ask yourself the question, is that where you want to spend the rest of your life? With no great passion, no strong desire, no dreams or hopes for a richer, deeper, more wonderful relationship and walk with Jesus than what you currently have. Whatever age you are right now, add 20 to it and say, is that where I want to be 20 years from now? Of course, some of you are adding 20 years and saying, I think I'm going to be with Jesus in 20 years. <laughs> and that'd be wonderful. But seriously, for the rest of us, is that really where you want to be? No strong passions, no deep desires for the Lord. No passion for the Word of God. C.S. Lewis, I love what C.S. Lewis says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, with the help of the indwelling spirit and with a heavenly father who cares about what you long for, 
and who will answer your prayers when you ask him to strengthen your inner longings, you can develop, every one of you can develop a much stronger desire for God and for his word and all that that includes. Because keep in mind, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work. And so I'm just saying, don't wait for a spontaneous urge. Don't wait for a liver shiver, some wave of emotion to come sweeping over you. No, take control of your cravings. Because you can. Because that's the good news. You can. You're a new creature. You're a new man, a new woman in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit within you, and the Holy Spirit wants you to long for that which he knows will be for your greatest joy. He calls it the pure spiritual milk. Some of your translations have the pure milk of God's word. It seems to be the implication here of what he's talking about. And so just as God's word played a really key role in your, in your conversion, the word of God needs to continue to play a really key role in your sanctification, your growth. It needs to be your food source. Remember what Jesus said to the devil when he was tempted after 40 days of fasting in the desert? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says it's pure spiritual milk. Take this a step further. Pure, uncontaminated, not, not mixed with anything else. Don't you love these soda machines now where you can just kind of punch in the flavors that you want, and you can mix different things together and come up with your favorite concoction. Take a little bit of this and a couple squirts of that and a little bit more of this and you taste it. If you don't like it, just dump it out and start all over again, I guess. You know? <laughs> a purist is going to say, don't mess with my Coca-Cola. When it comes to the pure spiritual milk, the milk of God's word, Brothers and sisters, you want to be a purist. You want to be a purist. Because hear me on this, don't mix it with anything. There are Christians and churches and pastors, unfortunately, today, who are mixing God's word with the flavor or flavors of the day. A little First Peter with a little Joel Osteen, maybe a smidgen of Oprah, a little bit of Tony Robbins, a book you just read, a movie you just watched, and then, of course, a good healthy splash of personal opinion and you arrive with your own concoction. And in the process, whenever you add something to the Word of God, you dilute it, you contaminate it, and you compromise its power. Allow the Word of God to stand by itself. It is enough. By the way, this Tuesday, October 31st, isn't just Halloween. More importantly, for Christians, it is the anniversary of the official beginning of the Reformation, 500th anniversary, in which Martin Luther and other key players ultimately broke from the authority of the Roman Church, fundamentally because it had diluted, contaminated, and compromised the Word of God, it had taken in other authorities, other ideas, other principles, other practices. 
What was originally hoped to be a reformation of the existing church inevitably became a rebellion and revolution that rocked all of Europe and had lasting effects on the future of the church for the next 500 years. Now there were five Latin phrases or slogans known as the five solas that emerged during the Reformation that summarized their theological convictions. Sola fide, faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sola gratia, grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord and our Savior and our King. Sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. And that's four. But the first of the five, the Reformers knew to be the most important because it provided a foundation for the other four. And that is Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. You see, whether you realize it or not, we benefit from the labors and the sacrifices of the Reformers every week here as we handle the Word of God, every day as you open your Bible and have your devotions, every time you submit to its authority. That's why Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk. It is rich and powerful and effective. It instructs and it exhorts. It equips and it encourages. It counsels you with a father's wisdom. It comforts you with a mother's love. It awakens your sleeping spirit. It alleviates your nighttime fears. On some days, the word of God will bathe you in the warmth of God's mercy. And on other days, it will break over your head like a thunderous crashing wave. It softens your heart and it strengthens your weak knees. It makes you laugh with joy over the Father's love and it'll make you weep with sorrow for the grief your sins bring to the Father's heart. Friends, I am telling you, there is nothing else like it in all the world that you can hold in your hands. Long for it. Set your craving here. Lastly, number three, Peter says, you need to confirm every day that the Lord is good. He wraps it up with that last phrase in verse three, if indeed, and if can be translated since, since indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you should do these things. Get rid of the relational debris and long for the pure spiritual milk because you, many of you in this room, have tasted that the Lord is good. And so he says, just keep on tasting. Keep on tasting. We taste the goodness of the Lord virtually every day. I was actually sitting in my office eating one of these Honeycrisp apples that we brought back from Michigan a week and a half ago, and I, and I literally found myself pausing with the apple in my hands, looking at the apple and thinking about how amazing an apple is. How it's packaged. How it's all wrapped up with skin. And how its flesh is so delicious and filled with juice. And, and then inside, right in the center, there's little two or three or four seeds. And it all started out with an apple blossom along with 
tens of thousands of other apple blossoms hanging from the branches of a tree that started with a seed. See, I think when Peter wrote these words, he was thinking about Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, every day you and I are surrounded by the goodness of God. Every day you taste the Lord's goodness. And so all of his exhortations here in verses 1 and 2 are based upon that. You have tasted that the Lord is good. Therefore, get rid of the debris, get rid of what's not good, and long for that which is. We're going to end this morning with an actual, right before communion, we're going to end with a, uh, an opportunity for you to do something as a symbolic expression of putting into practice one of these points, and that is to put things away. Did you all get a little piece of paper this morning? Time to, time to put it away, or however I word it on there. What I'm asking you to do, there's probably something going on inside your head as to, in terms of something you need to get rid of in your life. Something you need to put away. And I'm just asking you to write it down on a piece of paper. And then what you're going to do, before we have communion, I'm going to ask you to come up to the front, rip it up into 16 little pieces, and drop it in this wastebasket. As an expression, as a prayerful declaration to God, Lord, it's time for me to put this away. It's not good for my heart. It's not good for maybe my marriage. It's not good for my kids. It's not good for my neighbors. It's not good for my church. And so, Lord, I commit it to you. Today, I declare that I am putting this in the garbage. I'm going to ask Scott, wherever he is, to come up and he'll just play some music for us. I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to do that, think about it, pray about it, write it down, and then when you're ready, you can just come up and rip it up. And we're not going to try to glue the pieces of paper back together and figure out whose penmanship, you know. No, this is you and God. This is just you and God, okay? Let's pray together. And then after that, we're going to share in the Lord's table. Father, thank you for blessing us with your word. Thank you for the men and women throughout history who have sacrificed because they, they believe so strongly that you had spoken and that we needed to hear and respond live our lives according to the word of God thank you for the reformers thank you for Martin Luther Calvin, Zwingli Cranmer thank you Lord for those who literally gave their lives that we might do what we do here on Sunday mornings open the word of God And so now, Spirit of God, we want to be men and women who 
both listen to the word and then do the word. We want to be doers, God. So our prayer this morning is that your Holy Spirit would just speak to each of us individually. Have your way with us, Lord. You are the potter, we are the clay. Mold us and make us after your will. While we are waiting, yielded, and still. We pray in Christ's name.